What's up, my right-wing nationalists? What's up, my Antifa SJWs? Uh, welcome to Time is a Flat Circle, a look at how humans keep getting it wrong. I'm your host, Joseph, the youngest, and I'm here with uh, one less than there usually is, but first I'm going to throw it to my brother, Adrian. What up, what up? This is Adrian, recording live from Austin this time. Not my attic, but uh, uh, still Texas, I guess. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and throw it to uh, my man, Andre, the uh, guy who dreams of living in a large clay pot one day. That is, that is in fact, a dream. Uh, we are here without our Chicon X uh, super woke brother, <laughs> uh, Jaime. So uh, we'll go ahead and skip him and go straight to Hondo. Hey, what's going on, guys? It's your boy, Hondo, coming in from San Antonio, Texas. Um, in honor of today's conversation topics, I'm doing my best uh, to put myself in the best mindset possible. So hopefully uh, some good conversation will stem from that today. Yeah. Are, are we all drinking? I hope so. Isn't that the case every week? Yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm normally drinking. I thought so, but I just want to make sure for this specific one. Um, if In case you're unaware, we're going to talk about archetypes in relation to modern media. And the type we talked about last week was what we're going to expound upon and get into in terms of movies that we all kind of like, I think, safe to say. Um, but we're going to talk about the archetype of the addict, which is why we are going to get drunk together tonight. But the movies that we've decided to discuss are three that kind of caps encapsulate different versions of the addict archetype uh, in our discussion that, that came from last week. The three movies are Iron Man, Rounders, and Rock and Rolla. Uh, I think the outlier here is Rock and Rolla. Um, the other two kind of fit with um, kind of general storylines. Rock and Rolla, obviously a Guy Ritchie film, uh, very stylized. Um, I personally like it a lot. Uh, it might be my favorite out of all three of these movies, uh, even though it was critically panned, I'm pretty sure has pretty terrible score on like Rotten Tomatoes, but whatever. I want to throw it around the room and instead of trying to discuss any hot takes or whatever we could, I want to ask, what was your favorite movie after watching these um, initially when they probably came out or, or a while back or for the maybe for the first time this this time? What was your favorite one out of the three? Uh, I want to go specifically to Adrian because he kind of touched a, a little bit outside of the podcast recording with me about having some different ideas of. Uh, maybe a few of these movies after rewatching them. Yeah. Uh, I'd say that my favorite was definitely Iron Man. It was interesting. Just hindsight's 2020 and it had been a minute since I had seen the first Iron Man. So revisiting that from a, just a strictly movie review standpoint, I can see now how that was the, the first stake in the ground you, you could say for Marvel in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it, it just holds up as a really great movie. It's not even like a really great superhero origin movie, a really great um, character arc of an addict type movie. It's just a, a great entertaining movie. It uh, hits all the, all the right buttons, gets you emotionally invested. Um, just when you think you know where something's going, it, it takes a, a weird turn or uh, takes you somewhere where you you were you're surprised at, at the outcome of the scene. Uh, it, it's a good movie, and uh, for all intents and purposes, I, I think it uh, had what we would call like the 
the fully realized arc of the attic. Um, so it, it was the, the happy ending, you would say, um, that you would hope um, from from that archetype we were talking about. Whereas the other two, uh, they when looking at it through that archetype lens, uh, didn't quite lend themselves to to what you would hope like a, a hero's journey would be. I think Iron Man did it best. Um, I will say this though, uh, when it came to rock and roll, something that I do want to explore, maybe not in this episode, maybe not not soon. But I, I thought that encapsulate, encapsulates perfectly the archetype of like what it means to be part of the crew and how the crew is bigger than you. Um, so I, I really found both of those both those movies super entertaining. The one that I I actually got I you guys may hate me for saying this, but Rounders did not hold up for the test of time. It is not that good a movie. Thank like, you. So, <laughs> so those are, that's that's kind of where my, my mind was going while watching all, all three of these last week. Um, you guys feel free to agree or disagree with me. Well, I have one question for you, Adrian, with no follow-up questions. Who, who do you map to in our group of friends in the Marvel Universe? In the Marvel Universe? Uh, that would be Iron Man. <laughs> fitting, fitting. All right, uh, no surprise. Like on movie. <laughs> Since we uh, got into that nice and thoroughly, I think that was a really good um, description of why it was your favorite. Let's go to uh, Andre. I- I'm excited to hear what his favorite one and see if it kind of juxtaposes your idea of why Iron Man was a good movie versus why Rounders was a bad one. Uh, yeah, obviously disagree on Rounders being a bad movie there. Um, I didn't feel it properly mapped out like the attic journey, I guess is what I'm looking for there. Um, based on the conversation we had last week, but I do think it's a good movie. Uh, my favorite was, has got to be rock and roller because I could watch that movie a million times and not get sick of it. Um, the, just from the cast to the actual story it tells. And again, you have somebody who is actually an addict going through that. Um, following up what Adrian said, I think Iron Man is, and, and you mentioned this last week, it's like harnessing that addiction and moving forward, which we don't have Jaime here, but I'm guessing that would be more of like the positive side of it. So the lover, I think is what that turns into. Like he took his addiction and made it positive. Whereas in rock and roll, you see the journey of the addict the whole time. Right. Right. I could, I, I can, I think I could agree with that. <clears throat> All right. Honda, round it off. Um, yeah, I think Iron Man did a good job of showing the concept of the addict embracing themselves. Um, again, Tony Stark at the end, I think the highlighted, the one quote that'll always stay with me is he says he's in front of the press conference and he's supposed to say something he's supposed to keep low. And he kind of just has that, you know what? I am who I am. I'm Iron Man. And I kind of just felt like that was the journey of the attic embracing who they were, but kind of to that point of you're embracing it, but you're utilizing it for a better purpose. It's not something you're trying to you're not succumbing to it and you're not overcoming it. Rock and Rolla. I think that was my favorite movie to watch today. I had never seen it before. And that was just a fun movie, man. Like just the comedy, the interaction. Um, I, I think those Guy Ritchie type films are always just super enjoyable to watch. Um, I think you saw a good example of that in regards to what I would say succumbing, the succumption. Succumption, is that a word? Uh, the I hope not. <laughs> that's gross. all like a terrible word. The surrender? I would say it. It surrender. Yeah, that's a good word. It would be the surrender of the addict in the sense that they're not necessarily conquering 
or overcoming what they have, but they're just more than willing to let it decide who they're going to be. And in a, in the opposite context of Iron Man, um, y'all may disagree with this on me, but I feel like rounders had nothing to do with an addict. Um, I feel like it wasn't a good correlation to the addict persona. Um, and it wasn't that good of a poker movie either. It really wasn't. I, I did not enjoy it. It, I watched it. I mean, Edward Norton's a good actor, so you're going to enjoy anything that he's in for the most part, but no rounders was not good. And it did not talk about an addict in my, in my opinion. So I didn't know what addict lesson I was supposed to understand or what archetype I was supposed to map for. Cool. cool. I feel like I'm in semi agreement with all of those. Um, but just to, get mine out there as well. My favorite for sure was Iron Man. And I don't know if it's just because it's so obvious. I, I think what Adrian was saying, looking back, you can kind of see that it was such a calculated foundation for a movie, but it wasn't at the time. Like you, you, you went in to go see it and you're just like, okay, this is going to be a superhero movie. It was so much more. It was obviously just a good movie, but the fact that they set up a universe that you could really live in that is going on 11 years after the fact, because that came out in 2008, right? Yeah, like that. So a story that, that has culminated in 11 years of pretty good caliber storytelling, it's just insane. And it's just all around a really good movie. I think I, I fall right in line with Adrian on that part. But I want to say that I do not agree with either you or Hondo about Rounders being a bad movie. I think it is a good movie. I think it does have some flaws in terms of maybe casting. I think casting probably had a, a, a storytelling, uh, filming, <laughs> writing. Well, so so I guess like a, I'm I'm going at it from like a very narrow lens because uh, we're we're. We're supposed to be thinking about archetypes as we watch these movies, or at least yeah, that's, that's yeah. just what what I got from like the homework that we were doing. And uh, when I think about archetypes, and I, I was actually like doing some additional research. So in, in an interview, I think it was John Favreau, the director of Iron Man, was actually talking about like what it means to be a, a storyteller and how stories are really uh, it's a compression technology, is what he called it. So like, there's these lessons in life that are valuable to learn without having to go through the experiences themselves. And he, he thinks that stories are a way for us to compress those lessons. And uh, I, he used a really uh, great term or a great analogy, like putting aspirin into the applesauce, right? So you get the, the medicine, but you're enjoying it as you're getting the medicine. And I feel like uh, when you talk about these movies, rock and roll, uh, I think has some different lessons uh, that, aren't quite aligned with the, the addict archetype because there's lessons of like what it means to be part of a crew and giving, um, giving yourself or sacrificing yourself for the greater good of like your, your brothers. Right. Um, for Iron Man, it was kind of that, the addict archetype for rounders though. I thought it was kind of that the message or the Aesop's fable type of, uh, what, what's, under these layers, how many layers of onions can, can we get down to, to really get the core of what they're trying to say? I think it's kind of lost. Like when you, when you think about it, uh, Matt Damon's character is just as much of a 
scoundrel as Worm. And no, no self-respecting gambler loses his entire life savings on one hand. And that's the, like one of the things that he does in the movie. Um, only to just like get back in it or and they're they're all noble excuses to continue living that addict lifestyle. Um, and, and I think what gets lost in that movie for me is the fact that the the girlfriend is kind of painted as almost like a villain character when she's the only one that's making any fucking sense the whole the whole movie and on top of that like you have uh the uh, the boss or matt damon's mentor whatever you, you want to call it and he's talking about how like it it's a mitzvah to uh give give him the the check and, and give him ba- basically a bankroll to go do what he needs to do it's like it, it, are you really conflating like becoming a lawyer instead of a rabbi uh, is that really the same as becoming a wannabe professional gambler instead of a lawyer? Like those two for me, for me, like I'm not sure for you guys, but that message was lost on me. Like those two. So he he addresses that because he tells me, he's like, well, yours is an honorable profession. He says, not in my family. Like in his own family, it was disgraceful for what he did. So culturally it's more acceptable, but like within his immediate group, they basically disowned him. Okay, so I, I guess that to a certain extent, I could see, I could see that character's thought process. But for me, the storyteller's thought process on trying to put those two and like make them in in the same universe of what's acceptable, to me, just seemed way way out there. Fight me, Adrian. I'll go in. I'll say watching this, watching the movie Rounders, I I watched it with the lens of trying to find the addict, right? Where was the addict persona or the archetype in the movie? And I don't feel like this was a movie about addiction. If anything, I would say this was more of a warrior arc. Um, In anime, we typically call this a shonen jump style where you go in, you get your butt kicked, you go around, you do things here and there that make you stronger. And then once you're stronger, you overcome the foe that originally kicked your butt in the beginning of the series. And that's more or less what this tied to. It was just a story of him realizing or getting better at poker and then saying, hey, I'm good enough to do poker professionally. So let me finish off by going to the World Series. There wasn't a dependency or that addict persona because he was helping his friend out of obligation and he was playing poker because he was good at it. It wasn't something that was necessarily detrimental to him. It was his friends that were detrimental to him and it was the environment that he was in. So I'm going to come at it from an entirely different standpoint. And I think going back to our conversation last week about how addiction can be a spectrum, I think that every single character in this damn movie is an addict. Like you got Matt Damon, who is obviously talented at what he's doing, but he's not addicted to getting better or uh, he's not addicted to anything other than winning. Like the fact that winning is such a big deal to him that he was willing to lose everything. Like he risked so much when he definitely shouldn't have multiple times not just like one off like he did it multiple times because of the thrill of wanting to win as opposed to you have someone like worm uh, edward norton's character who's not even addicted to winning he's just addicted to the risk like all he's addicted to is risking like everything all the time it's see i don't know different versions Um, i don't know if those were that's addiction though because matt damon's character lost all of his money three times in the movie two of those were because of worm because worm screwed up his his plans or whatever. So that wasn't necessarily like the addict persona faulting him at the end. And then in the beginning, when he lost the 25,000, 
he lost it, but it wasn't in the context of like, oh, I have nothing left after this. That was his bankroll. That wasn't like his livelihood. He didn't go to prison. Like he wasn't necessarily like outside of losing the money, he didn't lose anything else. And that's kind of one thing where I see from like the addicts persona is you're giving your risk. Like if he was risking more than he was able to lose, then I would see maybe we can apply that concept there. But I mean, everything he was doing was calculated and it was a level of risk that in his mind, he said, I can accept that. So it's something I can do because the entire time he's like, go ahead, Andre. I get what Joseph's saying because I think that's the initial loss. After you know, he goes to the movie and you find out like, oh, he went and beat well, who was it, Johnny? What's his name? Johnny, Johnny Tran? Chan. No, oh, Tran. Yeah, there you go. Johnny Chan was Fast and Furious. Um, he goes and beats <laughs> this guy, and he's he's riding that high of winning, and he comes in thinking like, man, I'm going to take down Teddy KGB, and I want that next high. So I like I can see that that standpoint. I never thought of it that way. You guys are starting to convince me that Rounders is about addiction. Oh, I mean, I for sure got that. For me though, it was just the fact that like. Uh, the quality of the movie yeah, yeah well it's like it's like the underlying like archetypes were just so mangled that it like it's like it wanted to be a story about addiction but re- what it really turned into was like a really 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 bad version of rambo but instead of punching people in the face you're sitting at a poker table betting like they even had, like they even had like the the fun like poker montage instead of like the fun training montage like it was a sports movie at the end of it it was a sports movie <laughs> i don't know I, I think it may have suffered a little bit from the fact that it was loosely based on some kind of reality of the new york gambling scene with poker specifically so there's uh what is that place called the chesterfield that actually existed there's um people that the characters are loosely based on obviously not that whole story arc played out with any of them but i'm sure there was some mob affiliations that ended badly for a few people um but yeah i i think it has some issues i i won't say it's a it's a great movie like i i I do think it's a good movie i won't say it's a great movie because it does have issues but i think the issues stem from things like again i'll say it casting i i don't think uh it would have done as well if matt damon wasn't in it but i think it might have been a better better movie if matt damon wasn't the lead character because it's really hard to see him as a down and out kind of dude. Like it would have been easier if uh, Edward Norton just played both roles as twins. <laughs> Cause we've seen that before <laughs> in a movie and I, I fucking love that movie. So um, no, but it was, it was, it was kind of, uh, I, I think to Andre's point about why he really did not like the Holy mountain was suspension of disbelief. I, I think that definitely is um, a little bit difficult to, to get into with rounders. But maybe I just was able to suspend my disbelief enough to actually enjoy the movie. It could just be me, though. And, and I do think it, it plays into the archetype like pretty well because you, you go into everyone's different version of what they're addicted to. Um, and you can kind of come out with some semblance of what their rationale is or what, what their character would do in any given situation because of their specific addiction. Um, you're not really surprised by anything that happens in the movie after initially meeting characters. Everything's like, well, yeah, of course that happened. Yeah. It's like, you y'all can feel free to disagree, but I, I, I don't see much of the addict persona in that because I guess a big thing that 
an underlying theme I felt was in rounders was there was a lot of, there was a lot of sense of obligation in regards to everything that was being done. He felt obligated to help out worm worm. He felt obligated to vouch for worm when he was short on the money. The KGB dude felt obligated to give him the chance to essentially win the money back within the last hour. I guess maybe I could be wrong on that, but I feel like that's different than from an, from an addiction standpoint is because doing something out of obligation or out of um, paying a debt back, that's not something done out of necessity. And maybe that's where I'm seeing it a little differently is I feel like from the addicts persona, there's always that correlation of this internal necessity, which I didn't see within the movie. Well, and to me, I think to me, a lot of what you're talking about that that read to me as convenient excuses to continue down like your own destructive habits like those are those are just like nice uh pre-made excuses for you to like continue doing things that you know are detrimental to uh, your own well-being it's like the path of least resistance basically yeah you still get to be you you get to claim that you're you're changing or trying to change and never change yeah like like I guess the, the, the existence of like most people that are just lazy, you can, you can tell, you can tell everyone like, well, I'm doing this to change my life, but I still keep getting into situations. I don't know what it is. It can't be me though. Yeah. Well, it's like, like if you're someone that's a, I don't know, a raging alcoholic and you have friends that like don't know how to do anything other than, than drink, you know, like, like, <laughs> Well, it would probably behoove you to like go find some different friends or go and find other outlets to do it. But if you just continue fraternizing with those friends and you'd be like, oh, like I have no power over this. I'm just going to end up getting pulled back in and ah, like, Lord knows I tried. Well, well, no, you didn't because you, you didn't try and change like those other external factors that were kind of pushing you into situations where you knew you were going to make bad decisions. But Adrian, we never get a podcast then if that happened. <laughs> so Joseph, we talked. I think we talked about this when you were over here and we were watching it. But mm-hmm. but uh, how do we all map to these characters? It's tough, man. It's tough because it they are all kind of scumbags, and I mean we are all kind of scumbags too. But uh, I don't know if we're on that level. I don't know if we're. Well, if you ask Josh, Adrian and I are ruining society <laughs> <laughs> every day, baby, every day. Well, I think the, the, the difficulty is uh, trying to figure out who's enabling who, because that's really what the movie is about. And I don't know if we're ever really enabling each other. We're all actively, I think, trying to make each other better, which is kind of the opposite of the relationships in this movie. Everyone's just trying to bring out the worst selves. Uh, it, it, to Agent's point, it, that really is why it's maybe a difficult movie to get into because it's the opposite of a uh, 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 hero's journey. It's like a... Uh, what's, what's the opposite dem- of like a coming of age story? Well, because even even to the point where you liken the main character's story arc to addiction, it's like you start off where he's finally at a point where he's just now getting sober. And then it's just like, hell breaks loose because worm gets out and he falls right back into yeah. the yeah it's a, it's a relapse but without like the redemption it's just like he relapsed so hard that he found success in the relapse <laughs> like <laughs> he's Eminem <laughs> uh, that album was trash by the way that album was trash it was it's garbage 
Uh, no, so I have I, in the Slack chat Jaime's mapping of this that he did at 12.03 a.m. on Sunday, February 10th. Uh, oh, Matt Damon. I, re- I remember that day. Yeah, Matt Damon, he says it's Adrian, which would make Edward Norton Joseph. <laughs> I'm Teddy KGB. Grandma is Josh. Joey Kanish is Hondo. And then he made himself the law professor. He would. Typical, typical high man. I'd, I'd say depending on the day and depending on the circumstance, um, everyone is put in this situation where they're probably Matt Damon. And depending on the day, depending on the circumstance, someone else in the group is, is definitely warm, just like pushing them well, in, the, the whole, in the wrong direction. The group as a whole. Yeah. I feel like it's possible the group as a whole will, will <laughs> kind of just... Uh, have someone spiral into uh, a rant or, or making some, some, I don't know, headstrong decisions that maybe they shouldn't. It's very easy to, to I guess, um, cheer someone on <laughs> when you see them being the, they're, they're like the craziest version of themselves. It's real life, man. Depending on the day. Yeah. I, I would say that that's a good segue into um, rock and roller because I think when you're thinking about like what it means to be part of, part of the crew or like you end up, uh, I, I don't know, succumbing to kind of the crew cheering you on to be like your worst self. There's also like the the safety that comes in the fact that like, you know, for a fact that like when you are being your worst self, you, you still got all like the whole family behind behind you ready to have your back. And I think that was something that like for me, uh, and I guess it was because I'm looking at it again from a lens that I don't normally look at in movies. Sometimes for movies, it's just the, um, the interesting arc that the protagonist is on. But for me, I was looking for archetypes and I thought that was a perfect archetype for the crew. Like they all were, were, weren't in it for themselves. They were in it for each other. Um. Damn, I completely blanked on what I was trying to say. Uh, sum- <laughs> <laughs> what is it? The sum of the the sum of the whole is more than the sum of the parts. The sum of the parts is greater than the whole. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, whatever it is, that is that's definitely <laughs> that's definitely yeah. uh, something that the the movie makes you think of. And it's it's interesting because the I guess the story arc is not really specific to the crew. The crew is kind of uh, its own character in the story. It's not really, it doesn't really exist as, the movie isn't about the crew. It's about like a, a story that the crew is a character in. Because no one gets uh, more screen time than Gerard Butler, who's obviously speaks for the crew at a, a lot of the the dialogue scenes but the crew acts as as one unit like it's it's like a, a, a sole character in the movie it's really interesting i like it a lot damn there's never one character just by themselves outside of gerard butler's character right like for the most part every scene they're all acting as a single unit and everything that they're doing no they're all standing right behind him in every scene <laughs> you just can't see them that's crazy but no i think the so this again this was my first time watching uh, rock and roller and this movie was awesome um but i think this 
in my opinion, served a better concept of the of the addict archetype, because in my mind, this was a perfect example of how you just keep digging yourself. You try to get out of a hole by digging a deeper hole. And that's where I just thought it was funny because every single time you look at it and the if you look at it from the movie, just within the construct of the timeline of everything happening, there are easily a half a dozen points in the movie where you could say if they stop now, the movie would be done. But because they keep going or they want another hit or they want more or they're not satisfied with the way that things are, that's where they're making their own choice to say, hey, let's keep it going. Or a perfect example is when they try to do that second hit. That's when you see like, oh, hey, it's me choosing to do this. It's not something that I feel like I have an obligation towards. And then even at the end, Gerard Butler's like, man, fuck this. I'm way too tired. Like, I can't I can't do this anymore. But he still gets involved in anything because of like it's not of his own choice to get involved. This I think is completely opposite of rounders in terms of the fact that it's carried by the cast. Like the cast is insane for not having anyone be as famous as they are now back then is nuts. Like Tom Hardy, Idris Elba, all the guys just even Mark strong. Like he's done so much. Yeah. yeah. He's worked with, Guy Ritchie a ton too, which yeah. is interesting. I think Mark Strong was like one of the best characters in this movie. Well, he's I also the narrator, isn't he? Yeah, I see him. Yeah, he has. Uh, it's funny watching the movie again because, for whatever reason, I minimized his role in my thought about the movie. But in the he's 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 a huge character. He's a huge plot piece. Um, and then I, I didn't even remember that he was narrating most of the events of the movie when they had the, the voiceovers. It's just him in character talking about what's going on. <laughs> Audrey, what is your favorite part of this movie? My favorite part of Rock and Roller? Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely when he attacks the bouncer with the pencil. <laughs> because he does that early on and he threatens the guy in the bar like, I'll take you down with my pencil. And the guy just backs off and then he fucking takes down the, the bouncer with it later. <laughs> no, hands down the best moment of the best movie or moment of the movie was when one, two and Hans and Bob are in the car together. And then <laughs> he, he finally confides in the him credits? and tells him. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? Did you watch the credits? I watched some of the like the end credits, like post credit scene. Yeah, they get the the slow dance. No, they showed that in the beginning, where because he was talking with uh, with Idris Elvis's character, and that's when they showed him. They showed him that they that he slow danced with him, and that's what he wanted, right? Oh, you must have gotten a oh, different cut. A, oh, maybe you watched a weird. Yeah, maybe cut. I just have a bootleg version. No, no, no I think yeah, the, the version. I remember it in the post credit scene. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, in the direct, I guess I was watching the director's cut because there's a scene where him and Idris Elba are in a coffee shop and they're talking about it. And then Gerard Butler's character's like, oh yeah, I kind of did something to him. And El Idris Elba's like, hey man, you thought your homeboy was going to prison for five years, so you took care of him. Good job, man. I probably would have done the same thing. And then they did a flash scene of what he did for him and he was dancing at the gay bar with him. <laughs> yeah. So in the version we all saw way back when, like, that's at the very end during the credits. They don't show it to you until then. Oh, okay, okay. I thought it was well placed. They had me cracking up when it was in the middle of the movie. So, I think 
best scene with our best quote was when he's like, so what did you, what did he say? He's like, what did you have in mind or what would you have me do? <laughs> or what did you want me to do for you? Yeah. <laughs> so Hondo, since it was specifically your first time seeing this movie, um, knowing that we were looking at this with the lens of the archetype of the addict, what did you pick out as the main addiction of these characters obviously with johnny it's actually being a drug addict which is insane uh that whole his whole character is i guess what we're supposed to be focused on uh, throughout the movie but it's just there's so much going on it's it's hard to pay specific attention to one thing throughout yeah, the scenes I, I would say from the addict's persona it's not just his character i think the well what was it the Damn it, of course I'm gonna draw a blank. What was the name of their group? Um, all four of them together. They were uh The Wild Bunch. The Wild Bunch. I would say the Wild Bunch as a whole, as a as a single character, was an addict. Uh the Rockstar Son was an addict, and even the the stepdad was an addict. And the overarching concept between everything is they all wanted something that they didn't have. And they wanted it just because they didn't have it. And that's kind of where I, I saw very much that addict's persona of always trying to want to climb that next hill only for the reason of that's a hill that I haven't climbed yet. So like the, the stepdad's always trying to bargain for the next deal. He's always trying to find the next pushover that he can take advantage of. Um, the rock, the rock star son was, I mean, he embodies the addict persona like on a, on a shallow level, but I think at a deeper level too, it was just, He's always reaching for that forbidden fruit because he knows he shouldn't have it. And I thought the painting was a good example of that. Um, so I thought there were, and even the accountant, uh, I call her Maeve because she's Maeve from Westworld, but uh, she was stuff out of boredom. So she was just looking for that satisfaction of getting away with something she shouldn't be doing. What's that? Yeah, I think her her character might be like one of my favorites in yeah. the movie because she, 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 is the puppeteer in so much of what's going on. It's it's kind of crazy that there's not more um, screen time devoted just to her because she has probably the most interesting role to play in all of the storylines because she's the reason all of them are converging. Like, yeah, they're all fucking up in massive ways and they they keep making the story more interesting by just screwing everything that they do in the most ridiculous way. But the reason that they all come together is because of her specifically pulling the strings. Yeah, and it, she's not, she's not in the movie for that long. Like she's not actually on the screen for that long, but she's got so many, um, powerful scenes with different characters where she's always kind of in control. Yeah. She was the string that brought it or the glue that brought everyone together or they kept everyone together. They all converged at one point because of, her influence to everything. So what did you say she was addicted to? Uh, I was, she was addicted to the thrill. Um, she constantly wanted to do that because her uh, husband was boring her. She had mentioned a specific line about everything being boring and she was just looking for that sense of stimulation. And in yeah, my it's mind, it's almost I, like, a, like an adrenaline junkie. Like she's looking for that next thrill. Yeah. She's just looking for the next thing to get away with. <laughs> Also, Adrian's yeah, been really quiet. Now, I, I, one of the things that I, I thought was really interesting, and 
this has nothing to do with like what you guys are talking about or like the movies themselves. But I do think that the ones, the two movies that stood the test of time, Rock and Rolla, or to me at least, stood the test of time, Rock and Rolla and Iron Man. Uh, I thought it was interesting that those two directors have been picked up by Disney to, to like helm their Disney properties. Like the Jungle Book was directed by Jon Favreau and Aladdin is going to be directed or is being directed by Guy Ritchie. Oh, really? Yeah. I did not know that. I would not oh. have picked that up. So I, I, I just think it's interesting how like, like when you look at these movies and like you start peeling back the layers and you realize that there's these things going on, like uh, Hondo basically um, being able to map addictions to almost each one of these characters and how like they're all um, in a way kind of succumbing to something outside of themselves. Um, but I mean, it's in a lighthearted fashion. Uh, it's just really interesting to me, like these creators that seem to have um, a a knack for being able to build layers to a story are the ones that Disney feels confident giving um, creative rights really to, to some of like the biggest properties that they own. Like when you think about it, like that, it, no matter who you give it to, that's a that's a risk you're taking um, when you're talking about something like Aladdin or the Jungle Book. But also, like, okay, so he's directing a guy Richie's directing Aladdin, and he's done like four heist movies, and that's essentially what Aladdin is. Like, he goes to steal the lamp. <laughs> so is is uh, well, what's his name? The transporter is he going to show up at some point? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> Jason Statham? Yeah. Is he the like the tiger that he has to you know, jump into his mouth to get into the cave? That's the, the cameo I want. So one thing that I always think is interesting is like treating movie uh, personnel as, or not treating them, like thinking about them as actual people and um, trying to map how people met each other. So I, I go back into Guy Ritchie being the guy that directed the Sherlock Holmes movies and probably having a good relationship with Tony Stark and uh, Robert Downey Jr. like legitimately just because of his relationship, first of all, with John Favreau uh, and, and John Favreau, first of all, I don't think he gets, or second of all now, I don't think he gets enough credit for putting that movie together because it's yeah. nuts how, how well he was able to make that movie turn out. But at, at the same time, like was Robert Downey Jr. just like, hey, I want you to meet this guy that I know because he's directed a couple movies that I've been in that made a lot of money. And he's like, uh, Disney, meet Guy Ritchie. <laughs> like, is he just, is, is he just that much of a, I don't know, facilitator now? Like he, he is one of the faces of Marvel uh, cinematic universe that he always will be now. Like Robert Downey Jr. Maybe more so than John Favreau. Like when I see John Favreau, I don't really think of, him as the director of Iron Man. I still think of him as I don't uh, know the guy. Iron Man's the Yeah. When yeah. I think <laughs> when I think John Favreau, I think of Vince Vaughn. Yeah. <laughs> that's it is exactly the change. Like that's that's the first correlation. Wait, what is that movie called? Is it Swingers? Yeah, it's Swingers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and that's how I, I I still see John Favreau. But it's it's just interesting. Like is that really how it played out? Because it kind of would make sense. <laughs> I, I I don't know. Like, uh, to me, I, I definitely 
just listening to some of their interviews, like uh, when John Favreau was talking about stories being a compression technology, um, you could hear some of that in. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna out myself right now. Uh, so um, Guy Ritchie had an interview with Joe Rogan on his podcast, and he was talking like basically the same thing. Like there's these um, stories that stand up to the test of time. Um, he was talking about the King Arthur um, movie. Oh yeah, 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 that he made, which and, I I enjoyed a lot. Yeah, and, and he was basically talking about how like we're we're all King Arthur, or like we're all kings of our own um, reality, and how like that it's really telling the story of like how you can own your own reality and how um, everything, in, even the sword, has a, a symbolic meaning to it. And he just wanted to put his own spin on it and just like making it as entertaining as he could for a next generation. Um, but he, he didn't want to um, corrupt or ruin what he thought was important to the story, which is like the archetypes. And he actually like mentioned by name, the archetypes. So I, I just think it's like something interesting to know that whoever's making the decisions at Disney has to have at least a mindset of finding like-minded individuals um, in terms of like, you're not just telling a story for entertainment purposes. Well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with like just watching something for like the, the literal story that it's telling. Um, I think um, they have their, their uh, fingers on the pulse of the fact that like, even if you don't realize what's going on, your subconscious may be taking these lessons that we're giving you and hopefully making things better over time in terms of like, the people that view it are, are taking lessons from it. Has everyone here seen uh, Captain Marvel? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like I thought there was like a lesson to be learned from, from that, even though it was really, I mean, it was weird seeing it like when I saw it because it was really a summer blockbuster type movie. Like it, it was um, very little in terms of like the layers that you really could dig down into. But at the end of the day, it was still a, a movie about women embracing like their emotion when you when you hear all these other wacky things wacky uh books that are business books about like how you have to be like basically more like a man to get be successful in business instead of just like embracing what it means to be a woman which is like no you don't have to control your emotions like if anything like your emotions might be the thing that you have one up on on men when it comes to like intuition like men may have to like logic problems out. And I thought it was a really good um, lesson to be taken away from a movie that for all intents and purposes was just a schlock fest. It was a, a, a fun reason to have Samuel L. Jackson running around looking like he was 30. And I, I think to that, that point, it kind of makes you wonder about the mindset of specifically those directors Guy Ritchie and John Favreau talking about these movies, but also talking about the fact that John Favreau picked Robert Downey Jr. specifically to be Iron Man. And did he pick him because of his actual personal history with addiction, which Tony Stark, as you've said already, just maps so well to that redemption arc of the addict into the fully realized uh, lover archetypes. But at the same time, was Guy Ritchie thinking the exact same thing when he was like, who am I going to get to play Sherlock Holmes, who is 
of like high functioning addicts uh, to the nth degree. It, it, well, Robert Downey Jr. is probably a, a pretty decent choice because um, it's it's not something like for for either of those roles. I don't know if it would have been as obvious. It is now looking back, but I don't know if, if it would have been as obvious or as easy of a sell to to sell the person that's actually funding the movie to be made. Um, how crazy would it have been if it just flopped? Like if Iron Man just sucked because it was miscast, which could have easily been the case. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of like a, when you think about the Hulk and then you think about rounders, like I, I definitely feel like Edward Norton is definitely more in tune with the archetype of like that, that kind of like sniveling, uh, not, not worm. quite. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> the worm archetype versus the Hulk archetype. Like it, like I think that might be one of the reasons why it, it's it, from an MCU standpoint, it really doesn't, hit uh, as well as some of the the other even less stellar movies um from the mcu universe whereas like when so un- unpopular opinion i like both hulk movies really i think eric banna was a better hulk but i like them both <laughs> well it also is crazy the casting choices for uh betty ross i think in both of those movies we're pretty on point. Like I'm not really upset about either of those. Yeah. The, those don't bother me. It's really the Hulk. So like in, in terms of like ranking your Hulks, like where, where is Ed Norton work? Where's Eric Bana? Where's Mark Ruffalo? Where's a, where's the, where's the, I'm, I'm not a Ruffalo <laughs> fan at all. I think Lou takes the number one spot. Cause he was actually a fucking Hulk. Um, he was just green. <laughs> And then I'll put Banna and Norton in the middle side. Tied. Oh, wow. I think Banner's number one. He's the best Bruce. He's supposed to, like, Bruce Banner, the character's insecure, intelligent, kind of reserved, quiet. I mean, Mark Ruffalo, I love his his Bruce Banner in, in the MCU, but I do not, he doesn't really, I do not love it. So here, I, I, don't, I don't mind it. I enjoy the banner between him and Thor. Um, I think it's funny, but it's not it's not conducive to the character of Bruce Banner. Here, here's my wild opinion. I think that that's the one casting decision that really like hurts the MCU. But I do think there's someone in the MCU that should have been the Hulk that could have done it better. And I think that person's Sam Rockwell. Ooh, but he played yeah, but- the poor man's Iron Man like so well. Yeah, but I just feel like Mark Ruffalo could have done Rockwell that too. Sam Rockwell play most things. Like you, yeah, you flip Sam those, Rockwell would play most things pretty well. Yeah, you flip those actors, and I feel like the Hulk or Eric. No, sorry, with the uh, Bruce Banner, like the Bruce Banner character would have been so <laughs> much. Yeah, <laughs> but also been. Eric Banner's name is so close <laughs> to Bruce Banner. Obviously, I was. It was speaking of mess, messing up names. I think both you, uh, Andre, and you, Joseph, have, uh, instead of saying um, Tony Stark, you said Robert Downey Jr. and vice versa. Yeah. He is. They're the same same person. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, so I don't think we covered this, but did we figure out who we mapped to in uh, Rock and Roller? I want to say, I want to say maybe 10 years ago, I was. one, two, and you were mumbles. And then I, I think that that flipped. I don't know who anyone else is. 
and Jaime is handsome Bob. Like where where are we going? With that? <laughs> Somebody has to be handsome Bob. Definitely Josh. I, I I don't know. So are we more like Mickey and Roman now? <laughs> the managers, yeah. yeah. The <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's funny. Joseph is cookie. In the uh, in my head, those two like Jeremy Piven and Ludacris like were were just Jeremy Piven and Ludacris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they didn't play any characters. No. The only yeah. ones with, same with exact non-British and accent. No, yeah, I was gonna say uh, I feel like I, I definitely would map to Cookie most <laughs> as well. <laughs> It was Hondo Johnny Quid. Probably. I think it matches. Yes, so. Like, it ends up saving our asses at the end, but we had to go through a bunch of shit for it first. I was going to say, I do a bunch of stuff where I should probably be dead, but I somehow am still alive. Yeah, that fits. <laughs> that fits. So, who's Archie? I don't know that we have one. Like I, I don't know that we have have anyone in the crew that's that badass. My dad. <laughs> <laughs> you can see that. Also, just a quick side note: I forgot Terrence Howard was in the original Iron Man because Don Cheadle does such a good job. Well, I, I really do feel like it's because of Terrence Howard math. Like, I don't think that there's anything other than Terrence Howard math that is what got him recast. Have y'all heard about this? So like the fact that he, he wanted to be the, the highest paid. He has his own math. <laughs> no, no, no. He actually legitimately has his own math. He says math is wrong and has his own math. Wait, so he's like a worse version of an anti-vaxxer. <laughs> Way worse. because. <laughs> It's not it's just the science that's wrong, but, but the fundamental of that what science is built on is wrong, which is numbers. Numbers are wrong. Okay, so the headline on this article is Terrence Howard believes one times one equals two, so he created his own language. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I'm not kidding at all. Like I, I was blown away when I read this, but this happened, like this transition in his life happened around the time that I guess they were getting ready to start filming Iron Man 2. And he was asking for more money, but it was all, I guess, because there was a complex that he was better than everyone else because he figured out real math, Terrence yeah. Howard math. Okay, the quote, as the Empire Star puts it, if Pythagoras was here to see it, he would lose his mind. Einstein to Tesla. <laughs> 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 It's called Terryology. Terryology. Oh, God. Wow. I'm going to finish reading this, but you guys continue, please. See, I would rather it just be called Terrence Howard, Matt. That's way cooler in my, in my opinion. So what movie haven't we covered? I think we've gone, gone pretty well over all of them, but there's something still to be said about why the movies were successful or not successful. Cause I think we both or not both. We all land on the side of the fact that 
okay, maybe Rounders wasn't the best movie, but it was definitely the least good movie out of these three. Um, Iron Man and Rock and Roller both seem like pretty well put together movies. Hondo, I know you liked it just on the first viewing. Why was it so shit on? <laughs> and why is the Iron Man just immediately regarded as an instant classic? I mean, I think I, I, I may be remembering wrong, but uh, when it came out, like my, my however old self was just like, wow, this, that's going to go down. That's a, that's a good movie. So I, I need to be honest here, guys, and I'm just going to come clean. I did not see the original Iron Man in theaters. What? Yeah. Wow. Uh, we were doing Poster. a movie premiere uh, for something dumb, probably like one of the Transformers movies. And I went in to set up and I walked into the post credit scene with Samuel L. Jackson. And I was like, well, that's ruined for me. I'm just going to watch this at some other point. And you call yourself a nerd. Yeah, ne- I never watched it in theaters. So your first introduction to a Marvel movie was that a uh, cinematic universe was happening. <laughs> like everyone else went in just going like, oh, I'm going to see Iron Man. I hope it's good. And then you walked in at the point where it's like, this isn't it. It's just the beginning. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. It was like the, the huge reveal at the end was what I got. That's a that's a unique perspective to have, I think, going into the next I don't know, however many movies there were. Man, I, I remember I sat through for Age of Ultron a marathon at Alamo Draft House for literally every movie that had come out in the MCU before Age of Ultron came out. I was in the movie theater oh for a God. full day. How many hours was day? I think it was like eighteen hours. Oh, <laughs> that is insane. Were people just like snoring through like the, the second Thor? No, both doors. I, I fell asleep <laughs> through both doors. Both doors. <laughs> yeah, it was a good experience though. I made I it was also funny because I was buying a ticket in anticipation of having someone go with me, which didn't happen because who was gonna go with me? Yeah. And I had to drive to I had to drive to Austin to to actually go to it. But um yeah, I made friends because there was two people sitting to my immediate left and my immediate right. And we were all in the same situation. We had all come alone. So we were best friends after that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we've talked about what our favorite parts of these movies are. We've talked about why they suck, if you think that. Now let's talk about the versions of these movies that we see in other movies like are there other movies that take what we feel is good about whatever it is that these movies capture and does it better or the same so like in the case of iron man is there an addiction redemption arc that plays out better than iron man's does iron man too (laughs) Like it doesn't it isn't every MCU movie following that formula now? I don't think so. Cause I, I think when Adrian was talking about it, it kind of just follows exactly what you see the hero's journey being specifically for the set of qualities and character characteristics of the individual of an addict. Like so I don't have one for that, but I do have one for rounders that's going to really blow y'all's mind. Right. Captain America Civil War. 
his friend from the past shows up after being in jail and completely messes up his life. And he feels an obligation to help him. Oh, boy. Damn. That's actually a good one. And his best friend is gambling, but in this case, it's Iron Man. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that that's actually a really good like uh the parallels are there, but Civil War is just so Ooh, much better done. Like it doesn't Is Iron Man the girlfriend? Is Iron Man the girlfriend in Rounders? Like just keep trying to set Cap straight, but he just won't. <laughs> so Black uh, Panther is grandma. <laughs> <laughs> can we discuss how ridiculous a character grandma is when like <laughs> you really think about it? like all he wears is like those nasty like a uh, bowling shirts so, like unbuttoned over like those nasty wife beaters and then that stupid hat no there's the one scene at the end where they come to him with no money and he's wearing like a onesie <laughs> yeah <laughs> with, with like a butt flap and I'm like what the hell is this it's almost like man it's almost like they ran out of funding for costume at the point where they were like trying to get his costume put together. They're just like, just wear whatever, man. Just, you know, the, you know who the character is supposed to be. You do you. And he has like a hat on in that scene, like a bowler hat with that one thing. I do like that parallel of Civil War, though. That's a good one. Yes. Yeah, it's it's like one blowing my more... mind as, as we speak. Yeah. Do we have one for Rock and Rolla? I mean, isn't that every Avengers film? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, shoot. I mean, maybe something as simple as um, Goodfellas. Where the family is. He rats them out, though, in that one. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Spoiler alert. <laughs> is it like the Fast and the Furious, then? It's like that ragtag group. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep, that's it. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, they even hit it. They even hit it on the head. Like, they even talk about, like, family over everything in Fast and Furious. Yeah, it's just like as if you look at the Fast and the Furious as one long movie goes, as one long movie, it just keeps adding more and more people to make it more convoluted. And I feel like as you watch more and more of uh, Rock and Roll, it just keeps adding more and more characters. Where you're just like, who the hell are all these people? What is going on? Yeah, I would say Fast Five, and The Rock is Archie because he starts out against them, and then at the end is like, no, I'm with you on this. Damn. This is really driving home that uh, that point that I think Joseph made in like one of the first episodes where it's like we just keep telling ourselves the same stories over and over again. (laughs) (laughs) Time is time is a flat circle, man. Well, I think. okay. so one thing I do think is interesting is why it's so difficult to come up with a better redemption arc than Iron Man. It may be one of the best done for that specific because I can think of movies that kind of try and follow the same path, but maybe don't do it as well um i mean you could say rounders is a a worse version of iron man too because 
if you're taking the the main character Matt Damon as it's the like like I said before, it's the opposite of the redemption art. He just <laughs> falls further and further away from the truth. When and I don't know if I like I, my timelines are all off or what have you, but like I, I think Iron Man came out like around the same time that like Mad Men and Breaking Bad were popular too, right? That probably would fit. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just interesting, like they're, uh, well, not there, but, but that particular movie seemed to be like a, not ahead of the zeitgeist, but just like there, there's a better way to go about like embracing those parts of you and like using them for good versus kind of like just letting yourself become like the anti-hero that like for all intents and purposes, you're just the villain uh, of of the story that just so happens that the story is being told from your perspective. It paints you as the protagonist. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, I can so, see that. Yeah, it's just interesting, like that that story and like the the addict archetype was kind of I don't know thrown a curveball with Iron Man, and I, I've been in a, a better spot for it ever since. Then uh, yeah. immediately following, they they added Jesus to the team with uh, Captain America. Well, it also kind of subverts the cliche too, because I mean, um, Hondo was talking about it before. The whole end scene where he just comes out and says, "I am Iron Man." That's was every super movie, superhero movie that had come out before then, which wasn't a lot, but I mean, we did have Daredevil. Um, <laughs> every movie that came out before then kind of followed that comic book cliche to a T because it wanted to be a comic book movie. Like it wanted you to feel like you were going into the movies and seeing a comic book play out on screen. But it did, all of them did such a bad job of that with the exception of maybe. Blade three. I wouldn't even say, I wouldn't even say Spider-Man. I wouldn't even say Raimi Spider-Man really uh, did a good job of making you feel like you were watching a comic play out. It was definitely a good movie, but it's more of an action movie. Um, hate me, but the Eric Bana, Incredible Hulk had hilarious panel wipes. Like if you were going from one panel to the next uh, to get from one scene to the next. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> it had like uh, the, what are those uh, comic book dot pixelations like that was one of the fade outs it just turned everything into like comic book art and then completely wiped to another screen it was off the wall crazy about wanting you to feel like you were looking at a comic book but um i think it's also funny that the best versions of that are seeing moments that actually were in comic books recreated in live action sequences like with Ant-Man coming off of Hawkeye's arrow would one of the coolest things ever, uh, which was completely speculated by every YouTube channel that uh, dissects trailers um, when that movie was coming out. But stuff like that is still amazing to see for me. I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm just a soy boy. So no, when they recreate the iconic moments, like again, Civil War, when they show that one scene with Iron Man and Cap, like going face to face with each other, yeah, like it just, yeah. like it just hugs it all the feels. Or like a uh, Thanos with the snap. Or just honestly, one of the coolest things ever is um, 
Iron Man's beams bouncing off Cap's late, uh, Cap's shield. Like the, that's one of the most insane things. But they just do it. There's not like a build up to it. They don't talk about maybe this would work. He just does it, and Cap knows exactly what what to do with the shield when that happens. Well, so I talked about that on on my buddy Aaron's podcast. It was that like there are always moments built in for the fans that are just like everyday pieces for everyone else. So it doesn't interrupt the story. Like it doesn't stand out. But when you see it, you're just like, oh, man, I'm really glad they put that in there. Yeah, it's yeah, paying homage to the comic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not, it's it's for sure fan service, but it's not, um, I guess, oh, look at me kind of fan service. It's just, that was also in it. Man, this turned into just us talking about how much we love the MCU. Yeah. Oh, it's John just that good of a movie. <laughs> well, can can I uh, go ahead and like use this as a jumping off point to say like I loved Aquaman? Oh, Aquaman was for sure dope. I think CGI wise, it was just insane. So it, can we agree that like DC just needs to use the minorities? Like avoid Superman, <laughs> avoid Batman, use all of the minorities and we will love you. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a good way to go. Like, <laughs> are you saying minorities? Are you saying minorities in terms of the cast that is playing these characters? Are you yeah. Saying? Yes. <laughs> okay. So, All right. The, like Wonder Woman's a woman. Uh, Aquaman is what? Samoan? <laughs> I don't know. I, they, they specifically uh, okay, call so him a half breed in the movie. I'm, 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 I'm living, I'm living in a post-feminist society. So when I, I thought minority, I was thinking like, I guess is Israeli is a minority. <laughs> yeah. No, I also want a black green lantern. <laughs> Um, that would help me out a lot. And then maybe it was there like a minority Superman other than steel. Uh, I, I don't think bring, so. You know what? Bring back Shaq and make steel, but with like a comedy approach to it. There you go. Make it a team up movie with Shazam. <laughs> no, so how do y'all feel about suicide squad being completely reboot as opposed to, just I don't know what it, what else they would do with it. As as long as, as long as they flashpoint it to to make it all make sense, I'm I'm down. Uh, I'm, I don't know why DC doesn't do that in every movie. Like oh, Flash here, I messed up the universe again, and the story. <laughs> and then they can just do whatever. <laughs> yeah, just make Flash dead Deadpool in that universe, and he always like t- talks about how he screwed it up this time. <laughs> yeah. Wait, uh, that'd be a that'd be a rowdy risk, but that'd be crazy if they did that to where they just remade the same movie like six times in a row with the same storyline, but just completely recasted it and rebooted it with the intent of combining them all by like the eighth movie. Yeah. It's like whatever, yeah, just, like, whatever sticks. Superman. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, that'd be, that'd be risky as hell, but man, if somebody did that where you did like four of the like, same movie. Yeah, we're getting gives you two. eight to 10 years of income of just like steady people going to see this movie. Yeah. Well, it's it's so frustrating because it's DC and they're such iconic characters that I'm not going to not go see it. Like most of the time, if I have the opportunity, I'm probably going to go to a theater and pay money to see this goddamn movie, even though I know it's going to be bad. So uh, if they have that. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, speaking of, of like, even though, you know, it's going to be bad. So like I went into it with like some pretty uh, open minded uh priors like i was thinking like you know what this one at least looks like it's fun and it was and and it has amber heard yeah. 
And oh, no, did you hear? She beats her husband. We, we don't like her anymore. Anyways. <laughs> or Johnny. Uh, yeah. uh, anyways, I was uh, watching it with Morgan and Morgan was like, oh, wait, this is just like, instead of Lion King, it's like Ocean King. Or instead of Black Panther, it's just like Water Panther. Like, <laughs> like she was like, this is the same story. And it's like worse. Like, I like the other ones better. And she kind of ruined it for me because I had totally, totally like fallen in love with like, OK, this is a DCEU that I can get behind. Like, I, I'm, I'm digging Jason Momoa because he's basically just playing himself. Like, it, it's like a Robert Downey Jr. type casting, right? Like, it, it's just uh, what you would hope that DC would make in terms of decisions with, with where they go. And then Morgan just went, just totally tanked my whole opinion of the movie. Because when you look at it in that light, yeah, like it, it was like, done, it was done better. Realized, it's like you you finally loved the DC movie only to realize it was a Marvel movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was just a badly done Marvel I think movie. That, that was the tagline on the poster, Adrian. Was it's Black Panther underwater? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm almost positive it was just like. It's basically Water Panther. Yeah. Water Panther. It's Sea Lion King. There we go. Sea Lion King. That's the winner. Yeah, it's like it's like Bohemian Rhapsody. It's straight out of Compton for white guys. <laughs> Walk the line. It's Ray for white guys. Like it's, it's um, but okay, so with regards to the storylines that they decide to use in the DCEU, it's crazy how well balanced and how just entertaining the animated movies and series from DC are. Like you go into um, things like Young Justice, like how interested would you be if instead of doing a direct sequel to Aquaman, they did like a time jump sequel where Aquaman was in it and it was Jason Momoa, but he was way older and he was training Aqualad, who was Black Manta's son. Yeah, I mean, there's some great story fodder there. And like, there's there's a ton of archetypes to explore. I just feel like it, it, it got lost on like the decision makers for WB or Warner Brothers. <laughs> WB is like an actual like TV station, right? No, it's the CWS. There we go. There we go. But but yeah, like uh, I just feel like the they're not in the myth making business. They're in the movie making business. And I feel like Disney, um, a long long time ago, probably even before Iron Man, realized that that's not what their their business is. Their business is making myths. So they have to get the archetypes right. Well, they didn't own Marvel when they made Iron Man, though. No, well, I was thinking more like along the lines of like the the movies that like are near and dear to our hearts. Like when we were talking about Brave Little to- or before Brave Little Toaster, we were talking about um, like The Lion King and things like that. Like when when you really think about those, those are those are myths for the modern modern day. Like they're yeah yeah yeah. I think just the thing with like you know we've talked about this um, an enormous amount of times. The biggest thing with the DC extended universe was they tried to play catch up. And they made one movie that set us on the wrong path because it was three movies in one. They had to introduce too many new characters. They had to set up. They tried to set up too much in one movie and it ended up putting a sour taste in everyone's mouth. They put Man of Steel one out. Then they wanted to make Justice League and they were like, oh, crap, we have Superman already set under contract. How do we fit that into the rest of the universe when we weren't ready to do that in the first place? Like, it, we'll cover up his mustache first. 
With amazing CGI. <laughs> if anything, they should have CGI'd the rest of the movie to have him have a mustache. <laughs> it would have been cooler if it, if like they they amped up, hyped up, just promoted the hell out of the fact that they were making a Justice League movie after only like Batman and Superman were introduced as characters and only have Batman and Superman as the characters. And they have to like fight throughout most of the movie just as exactly the same as Batman versus Superman. Like they, they, they're just in a tiff throughout and then they have to team up for some big showdown and they have a line between them that says like, what is this? Some kind of justice league. <laughs> and then they just beat the hell. They just beat the hell out of some, some like baddie. And then there's no one else from the Justice League introduced in the movie at all. That would have been a better movie because everyone would have been like waiting. Everyone would have been like waiting for something crazy. And like the crazy part was just the fact that they just <laughs> used the line like, what is this? A Justice League? Wait, are we I would have cheered. I would have cheered. <laughs> they need to go like the complete other way. Like I feel like everything that, that Marvel is doing is so... Uh, not typical. It's not expected. It's not predictable. It's a little predictable, but it's it's just like it's the way things are supposed to be done, I guess. If DC was just to go completely opposite and just try insane things, they would probably have a decent IP on their hands in terms of the movies that they could make. Because I'm still waiting. I would love and I would just even if it was bad, I'd be like, hell yeah, that's the right way to do it. Have a two actor Batman movie where one actor plays Batman and one actor plays Bruce Wayne. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> like one is obviously oh, physically home. bigger and has, you, you and has like a deeper voice. Yes, exactly that. I want, I want that for Batman. Like I went like just a normal dude playing Batman. Like, uh, what's that guy's name from uh, white collar. I went that guy playing Batman. And then I went like just this Hulk of a dude. The mountain. Um, yeah. <laughs> The mountain playing Batman. And you're just like, what is this? Like, nope, that's Batman. That's that's what Batman looks like. That's what Batman looks like, the bad guys. Yeah. Well, I, I also think that, like, uh, the MCU is so grounded in, like, what could be considered, like, magical realism, where it, it's... It's just close enough to home that you, you find enough familiar things that it's like, yeah, I guess, like, we could live in a universe with, like, superheroes. That... DC really ha had the opportunity to just take it all the way up to 11 and just make it super comic booky. Like, and they had the right guy at the helm with Zack Snyder. Like if they had just let him do his like 300 thing with, with all the yep. movies, it, it would have been great. But I, I felt like they were really to, to Honda's point, like they're playing catch up and they wanted it to be MCU and they wanted it to be like, Oh, well it's gotta be realistic. But like our, our, our heroes are our biggest hero is Batman. Oh, we lost so it, so it has yeah, to be die out for anyone else. Hello, hello, hello. Yeah, he's gone. Damn well, it. I guess that wraps us up nicely. Damn it. <laughs> I was I was about to go on a rant. There he is. Oh, there he goes. Man, I was just ranting uh, raving. I think, I think Skype like picked up on it and it would be just kind of censored you automatically. Yeah. I was, it was too many truth bombs for, for the cloud. <laughs> It's probably because we were talking about teriology and they just have a, a thing to censor that right away. Illuminati caught on. <laughs> They're coming through my window right now. 
It's, it's Terry. It's, it's Terry Halloran. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I lost my train of thought, so my rant is over. You were no, agreeing no, I, with me about it being a really poorly written and poorly set up. Because, man, thinking about it, man, if we would have had like a 300 equivalent of Batman, that would be awesome. It would be amazing, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the small scenes in uh, Batman versus Superman, which was weird. Like, I, I don't know how, I guess, suit, it, it, it really does seem like people in suits, like, edited that movie. Um, with Zack Snyder's, like, idea that, like, Batman's ide- idea of Superman was built a- around the fact that he was there when uh, Metropolis was just being blown to bits by Superman's fight with Zod is the coolest way to introduce that kind of personality to Batman. And then it just got weird after that. Like it was all drawn out and strange, but that opening scene, when I first started seeing that movie, cause I did see it in theaters, I was like, damn, I'm in it. Like, yeah, it, it was, it was immediate suspension of disbelief. And then yeah. immediate, uh, un, un, unsuspension of disbelief. <laughs> like the, the next scene. No, Decent they totally dimension. warped you in there because yeah, because that even justify like because even in all the Justice Leagues and stuff, Batman has an inherent distrust of Superman. Well, he has an inherent distrust of everybody, but specifically more so of Superman because he knows that Superman can't be beat. And that was like, man, that was so well set up. I never thought of it that way, uh, Joseph. And then they go right into the next scenes where they show Batman like branding people and killing them and yeah, it's just doing all weird. this other it's stuff. Yeah. Also, the CrossFit. Oh, yeah, no, no, that was hot. I, I, no, I like that. That was hot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, tell me, like, if this is what you want to see uh, of a Batman on screen. Um, there's that one comic arc where he is being controlled, uh, like, in his mind by um, some entity. I completely forget what the actual arc is. The only piece of it that I remember, and it's so awesome, is the fact that. Uh, is the fact that he knows that he's not himself because he keeps. I'm oh, sorry. sorry that keeps... was all Andre's fault. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> the, my favorite, like, Batman tidbit is the fact that he knows it's not him in his head because he's referring to himself as Bruce Wayne when he would only refer to himself as Batman if it was really him. Like, that's my favorite part. Like, he just is Batman. He's like, oh, man, what would Batman do? Like, oh, what was what does Batman want for dinner tonight? Like, that's how he thinks. Well, all right, y'all. On that note, on that really great piece of uh, what it's like to be me. Um, <laughs> This was fun. <laughs> this was really fun. I think these are going to be uh, definitely um, the lighter side of what we do with these podcasts. So this is this will be an interesting uh, topic going forward. But um, we'll talk about what we're going to do for next media review. But until then, this has been Flat Circle from the Gaius's Podcast Network. And just want to let everyone know to remember to be yourself just like everyone else. And we'll catch you next time.